0: I want to find first Thessalonians chapter four. All right. We have been taking three weeks to talk about work. Okay. 40, 50% of us, our lives are going to be spent investing in work. And I mean, it just seems like we're either working or we're thinking about work or complaining about work, right? Or we's exhausted for work or getting ready for work. I mean, work is, it plays such a predominant part of our lives. And work, by definition, is the expending of energy. So if you're working, you're expending energy, and you're working hard, you're going to find that a lot of times you're going to be tired. It's going to wipe you out. But I can tell you that uh, continual work with no rest can have some rather detrimental effects on your life. Really interesting. The Chinese, they join two characters to form a single pictograph for the word that we translate busyness. And uh, let me show you what it is. So if you know Chinese, you recognize that. Any volunteers? Okay. What we've got here, the first one is busyness. Is You've got heart, and that is coupled by death. That's how we translate busyness. That's their pictograph for it. That's actually what unending busyness, always working, it starts affecting us at the core. I don't want you to raise your hands. But it'd be really interesting how many of us are dying a slow death of heart just to unending, unceasing work. And you can tell when you are working so hard and never resting because what happens is you start blowing fuses and you start tripping breakers, right? I mean, you see it. You see it personally. Uh, You are so worn down and you are so tired. And sometimes you even feel like half a person. You can't even emotionally engage, even though you'd like to, because you don't have anything left. And then, of course, if you were overworking, never resting, shows up in your family, I mean, you will start responding in ways that you're like, man, why am I even doing that? I don't... These are the people I love the most, and yet my desire to care or extend compassion or even handle situations well seems to be diminished, and then, of course, if you continue to overwork and always are expending yourself when it comes to the idea of ministry, while you find that you're running on fumes, uh, it's hard to share something that you don't even have. And then you can even see this. It shows up in your spiritual life. You can get to a place where like the even the idea of reading the Bible is just like weighty, or or praying. And, you know, a lot of the things we're involved in, they're good. and And some of us. You're involved in, in great things. Don't get me wrong. But I will tell you this, that there seems to be kind of like the like an Iron Man side of things for some people. And it's kind of the idea of this, is that if you're really godly, you never take time off. It's kind of like a badge of honor that you wear. It's like, you know, if you're really godly, you will, well, Jesus is accomplishing all this work and you're just kind of always on the go and you can always make it happen because jesus is your source of strength you know we like to pride ourselves that we've got good theology but i want to ask the honest question do we really do we have good theology when it comes to how we really live uh what happens is if if you don't learn to take rest your body will actually try to find it like you'll You'll uh, perhaps like check the sports scores like all the time, even though you could kind of care less or you just like start reading irrelevant emails. It's just because you're just like looking for some sort of little escape. And I will tell you that if you and I do not learn how to incorporate the concept of sanctifying rest in our lives, one of two things is going to happen. Either you will implode, you will literally cave in, you will collapse from within, or you will explode it's going to be like fireworks and you're going to lash out and you're going to do some crazy stuff and you're going to say things and do things that you really didn't intend. And I've, and I've seen this happen. I've, I've seen people literally cave in. What, is, what happens? Well, what happens is we've, we've never really come to embrace rest. And what happens is you end up feeling beat up, burned out, angry, depressed. You start collapsing from within or you start just unleashing on people. Seems with people, uh, some fall on one of two extremes. You have some people that they avoid work altogether, and they never really engage the gifts that God has given them, and they kind of just rust. They just kind of like rust out in life. Um, it's kind of like you ever been to a farm, and you ever notice that they like line up cars, and they just kind of sit there, and they're just exposed to the elements, and they just rust out. I remember seeing that at my grandparents' farm. And there's like trucks and cars and some tractors, and they're just they're rusting out. They're never used, they're just there. But when it comes to folks here at the church, I actually think that's, I'm not worried about too many of you rusting out. But I am worried about some of you burning out, self-included. Burning out is kind of like you're always in overdrive and you never stop. You don't do regular maintenance to your car. You don't even put oil in the engine. Don't be expect. Don't be surprised when you fry yourself. Is this really how God intends for his people to live? I think this morning all I want to do is call a timeout. Okay? A timeout to regroup, to reflect, and to recalibrate. What does it really mean to pursue rest in the midst of a busy life? I I will tell you in my own life, this is a high need. It's like one of the areas I think I'm, I'm worst at. Okay, so I'm not speaking as an authority. I am speaking as a fellow learner and someone that really does need to learn. And so this morning, all I want to do is explore and reintroduce the concept of sanctifying biblical rest in the lives of God's people. I know that to a varying degree, some of us might be experiencing a slow death because of no rest. But what does God-dependent sanctifying rest really look like? Well, as we've been going through 1 Thessalonians... We've come upon 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. This book talks about following Christ in a fallen world. That includes not only working hard, and we've talked a lot about that, but it also includes rest. Just as important as it is to learn how to engage well with the gifts that you have in working, just as important is that you learn how to rest. So take a look at this. Chapter 4, verse 11. He says, and make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. He's calling for a quiet life. It's really a life at peace. At peace with God. At peace with others. At peace with yourself. A personal peace. You're you're not involving yourself in other people's business, but you are at peace. You're at peace with God, with others, with yourself. And at the same time, in the exact same verse, you see that coupled with pursuing a life of quiet is that you're also working. How is that possible? I mean, it's really interesting. He uses an electric word, ambition, and then he also uses right next to it. He couples it with this very low energy word, quiet, with lots of energy, pursue a quiet life. And that tells us something. If you are going to experience rest in the midst of a busy working life you got to work at it you got to apply yourself to it it never just happens if you're waiting for i'm just waiting for peace to come over me i am waiting for a restful life i'm waiting for someone to straighten my life out for me i got news for you it's not going to happen you've got to pursue it you've got to engage verse 11 he says make it your ambition you got to put effort toward it to experience a life of quiet. It is desirable. And it's not, I will have peace when I have peaceful circumstances. Because often in life, you and I don't have what we could say is perfectly aligned peaceful circumstances. Everything that I think about in my life is all going well. Does anybody have that right now? I don't think so. I certainly don't. And so what happens is we don't have peaceful circumstances, so we think we can never experience rest or peace. This verse, as well as a lot of others, are going to challenge our thinking. I think you'll find this, that God restores our souls as we learn to rest in him. And This morning, all I'd like to do is just answer some key questions that will help us to move to a more restful and quiet life. First question you've got to answer is, why is sanctifying rest so important? Why is it important? Well, first of all, I think you're going to find that rest goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. Remember in Genesis chapter 2, God having worked for six days, unleashing unimaginary creativity and work, creating the universe, all things seen and unseen, from the grandest of spectacles to the the smallest of neutrons and protons. God created all this. But it says in Genesis 2-2, by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done, and he rested. There it is. And on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. God didn't rest because he's like, Ooh, he's really wiped out, man. You've been working hard creating the universe. Okay. A lot to that. Probably God was really tired and he needed some rest time and recovery time. Actually, that's not true because God is omnipotent. He has unlimited energy, always able to create. No, God rests because what he's doing is he is establishing a divine rhythm for life. And it is a divine rhythm. Work followed by rest. Work, rest. And so it shouldn't surprise us that rest was expected among God's people in the old covenant. Remember, God gave the... Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. Remember that? They're found in two places. They're found in Exodus chapter 20. And they're also found in Deuteronomy chapter 5. And so you have the listing of Ten Commandments. they the exact same Ten Commandments. They're given about about uh, 15th, 15th century B.C. Deuter- the, the one found in Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, is just a repeat of the first time that he gave these, these Ten Commandments. But what is fascinating is that the commandment that you are to observe a Sabbath has two different reasonings in those two different passages. In Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11, the grounds for Sabbath are found to be in the creation of the world. In Deuteronomy 5, the grounds for you to following the Sabbath are emancipation from slavery, that you are no longer a slave in Egypt. You've been liberated. And so God commands that his people observe a Sabbath. Sabbath. That word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which literally means to cease from working, to rest. And so God intended for his people to rest. So Exodus remembers Eden. Deuteronomy remembers Egypt. Exodus looks up. Deuteronomy looks back. Exodus is calling us to imitate divine blessing. Deuteronomy, on the other hand, it's holding, calling us to observe divine deliverance and to obey God's command. One calls us to a holy ambition, to be like God, to rest. But in Deuteronomy, it's calling us to a holy defiance, to never again be a slave. You're not a slave to Pharaoh. You're not a slave to Nebuchadnezzar, Beelzebub. You are not a slave anymore You now are my people, you can rest. Now, this idea of rest, God wanted his people to experience this inner peace and this renewal of strength that comes from him. And so he established the Sabbath, and he actually called it to be a day not only of rest, but of worship, and that's how it was practiced. And very early on, this identified God's people. Unlike all the peoples of the world, those who truly know the one true God were identified specifically and that they had incorporated rest. There is actually really no rules given. The only time that we see God addressing like a specific rule, in Numbers chapter 15, there's a guy, we'll call him Herb. He was out picking up sticks on the Sabbath. And all the people are like, ah, we're supposed to be resting. And they take Herb and they actually incarcerate him and they appeal to God. What do we do? And God brings judgment because he wanted his people to remember I called you to rest i want you to enjoy me i want you to rest you're not god and by resting you're actually showing that i'm god well you see the jewish people they understood this and they understood that god had called the sabbath and so they were so intent and i believe they had really good intentions to keep the sabbath that what they did is they created a bunch of rules and laws to govern the sabbath so they should keep it but I'm not talking about a few. I'm talking about literally thousands of little little laws and rules that they incorporated. In fact, for the Jewish people, they, they had moved so far away from observing the Sabbath because they were trying to follow the rules that it was much easier to work than it is to rest. And some of you and I, we find that, right? It's easier to work than to rest. That was especially true for the Jewish people. They had in the Talmud, which is kind of a major compilation of Jewish tradition. They had in their 24 chapters of rules and laws that they needed to follow. Let me give you an example when they were trying to observe the Sabbath. So, for instance, like they had said that you could only take 3,000 steps on the Sabbath day. They had a bunch of exceptions, but they had about 3,000. You could carry no more weight than a dried fig. Okay, well, that's not very much. When it came to eating, you could eat nothing bigger than an olive. And so, for instance, if you bit into an olive and you found out that it was like rotten and you spit it out, well, that actually counted as a half an olive. I mean, they had completely turned this into a massive pile of legalism, this net. And it was the whole idea of observing Sabbath became far more difficult than it is to work. And they started missing it. Well, lo and behold, when Jesus appears on the scene, Jesus, he embodies rest. And he actually observes the Sabbath as God intended For he is the son of God. And that put him in direct conflict with the Jewish culture. Because they had all these laws. And Jesus wasn't about to follow their man-made rules. And they're like, whoa, we're going to deal with you. And Jesus said, not only am I following the Sabbath. And I understand the true intent of the Sabbath. He then made this statement in Matthew chapter 12, verse 8. He says, for the son of man, referring to himself, is the Lord of the Sabbath. You really want rest. You want redemptive rest. You want forgiveness of sins. You don't want to be struggling and toiling with legalism and following all these laws and all the anguish that comes when you can't do it. Jesus says, I'm that rest. You believe in me? I give you forgiveness of sins. I give you rest for your soul. You can be at peace with God because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. And when he said he's the Lord of the Sabbath, he also says, I am the one that not only can drive you redemptive rest, I can even give you physical rest. Remember in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, he said, listen, I want you to come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Is that anybody here? Oh, yeah. That's like most of us, right? Weary and heavy laden. He says, I want you to come to me and I will give you, anybody know? Rest. I'll give you rest says, you see, I want you to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Learn from me. I'll provide you rest. But you have to come to a place where you're resting in him. That means that uh, you realize that you're spiritually bankrupt. Okay, Whatever little man-made idols that you put before yourself to find your sense of peace and purpose and identity... That all has to go away. If you really want rest from God, you have to be resting and trusting in Christ. That also means if you're looking for rest from the weight of life, it's found in Jesus. He is the embodiment of rest. And furthermore, rest is extended to all those who are trusting in Christ. He wants his people to rest. Do you remember when Jesus was training his men? Kind of how it worked when he was discipling his men They were watching him They were like this is really cool Jesus does all this awesome stuff He preaches the gospel He's awesome And then one day they woke up and Jesus says Guess what guys You're going out to preach the same gospel And I know you're chicken And you won't do it if I send you out one by one So I'm teaming you up You got a little accountability all right? And so you go hold hands And you go and you preach the gospel And I'm sending you out And it's going to be work And so they did and at this exact same time, Mark records that this is when John the Baptist was beheaded. John the Baptist was um, a relative on Mary's side. But John the Baptist was also a key man in many of Jesus' initial apostles, the disciples. When he was beheaded, a news hit. Not only did they find that they were weary by the death of a man that they loved deeply, but they had been working hard going from village to village, preaching the gospel. Remember in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, they, they all gathered together with Jesus. And they reported to him all that they had done and taught. They're just telling Jesus about all these experiences. And listen to this. And Jesus said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place, i.e., not the mall, and rest a while. And, uh, and then it, has this, it says this. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. Some of you are like, that's my life first. I don't have time to eat. It's right there in the Bible. You ever feel like this? You ever experience life like this? And he says, I want you to come away. And so that's what they did. Verse 32 Matt. Mark 6. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. Don't get me wrong. The people were still coming. People were fainting. People were in need of healing. People are in need of truth. But Jesus says, You know what? You're my people. We work hard. You're gonna give yourself. Don't be surprised if you're exhausted, even to come to places where you can't even eat. But you must learn to come away to a secluded place, for I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You see, the Master knows that we must have rest so that the light isn't quenched. In the old test in the old covenant, law governed Sabbath. But in the New Testament, we're not governed by law. In the New Covenant, we are governed by grace. It's really interesting. Of the Ten Commandments, did you know that nine of them are reinforced in the New Testament? Do you know which one is not? Sabbath rest. Really interesting. He doesn't actually, in the New Testament, God does not actually set up, this is how it's going to observe, this is what you should do. In fact, Paul writes in Colossians, he says this, Colossians 2:16 and 17. He says, therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Because the gospel is going forth not only to Jewish people, but to Gentile people who, in many cases, knew nothing about Jewish practices. Don't let anyone be your judge, even on Sabbath days. Because these are things which are mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, legalism is when you set up all these rules and you reduce life to mere technicalities. And there is something about us that we like rules. We like that. It, it tells me what to do. What we do is we substitute code for conscience. We put ritual in the place of worship. We have rectitude instead of Holiness. And there are churches that specializing in putting laws in front of people, rules, you've got to follow all these things. God wants us to specialize in grace, great freedom that we have in Christ. And God provides a rest, and that rest is found in Christ. So important, though, is rest. That do you know that in eternity we're going to be divided up between those who are resting and those who will rest. Never rest. Did you know that if you've never truly trusted in Christ and you pass away, you actually will enter into eternity with no rest? You see it. Revelation chapter 14, verse 11. And it says, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And these who have rejected Christ, who have never trusted him, it says, They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. You never found your rest in Christ, you will never experience rest in eternity, working day and night. On the other hand, those who have trusted Christ, two verses down, fourteen, 13, he says this. He says, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, so that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds will follow with them. Friends, I'll tell you this. You see, without rest, we miss the rest of God. You see, he invites us to rest, to incorporate it in our life so that we'll experience him more deeply. Rest time isn't waste time. It's an opportunity to gain fresh strength. Fishermen with their nets. Do you know that they mend their nets? Because if their nets have holes, you're not going to catch a lot of fish. They're all going to get away, so you have to mend them. Uh, if you're into bows and arrows. Did you know that you have to, at some point, unstring your bow? Because if you don't, it loses its elasticity. We understand this. Uh, we put our little cars and trucks in our garages. We don't just drive them around 24-7. They actually get a rest time, right? Your phone, when it shows that you got 2% left on your battery, what do you do? That's, that's not a trick question. You, you charge it up. There you go. If you're having problems with your phone, let me suggest you charge it up. Things are going to work so much better. Your computer, if you don't plug it in to recharge it, what happens? It starts beeping. You know, we understand this our cars and we understand trucks and our computers and our phones. The one area that we forget about it is the owners. We get it. It makes sense, except when it comes to us. Charles Spurgeon said this. It is wisdom to take an occasional rest. In the long run, we shall do more by sometimes doing less. On and on and on forever without recreation may suit spirits emancipated from this heavy clay. But while we are in this tabernacle, we must every now and then cry, Halt! And serve the Lord by holy inaction and consecrated leisure. Let no tender conscience doubt the lawfulness of going out of harness for a while, but learn from the experience of others the necessity and duty of taking time to rest. So what keeps us... From making rest such a priority. Why don't we do it? I'll give you some reasons. One is pride. We see ourselves as self sufficient. I don't need rest, I can do it on my own. You know, pride shows up in kind of that attitude of self promoting, but it also shows up in this idea that self sufficiency. I don't really need you, I don't really need God. I mean, He's helpful at times when I'm a real Jim. I don't need rest. I can do it on my own. All of this is a reflection of pride. You see, when we're resting, it actually reminds us that we're not God. That's a pretty good place to be. I'll give you another reason why we find it hard to experience sanctifying rest, why we keep it from being a priority, and that is despair. What happens is you kind of just kind of collapse, and there's just this sense that God isn't good enough or big enough to handle the mess that I've made or the mess that I've encountered. And you're just kind of in this vortex, it's a spinning downward spiral. And you, you're just like, I, I just can't rest. I just got to keep going. But you're just kind of like barely treading water and you're starting to sink in and you're starting to take in water and you're despairing. Let me give you another reason that keeps us from sanctifying rest. And this one might surprise you, but it's entertainment. Now, entertainment is, is amusing. It can be a very pleasant diversion, uh, and it can give our minds and our bodies and our emotions a break. And entertainment can be good. I am not down on entertainment. It, it can be good. There's nothing wrong with it. It can be enjoyable, makes some memories, gives you things to talk about. But here's the problem. Entertainment has its limits when it comes to our body, soul, a mind, and emotions. You see, unless there is something God directed in our entertainment... Entertainment will end up leaving you feeling void inside. I think you're familiar with cotton candy. You guys like that, right? Kids really like cotton candy, yeah. And it comes in all sorts of different colors, all different flavors. You can find candy, cotton candy everywhere. Entertainment is kind of like cotton candy. You know, cotton candy's good, but you certainly wanted, wouldn't want that to be your diet. If you were, all you're eating is cotton candy, okay, so you got some huge dental issues, right? always trouble when you go to the dentist but furthermore if all you're eating is cotton candy your body will reflect that because you're you're eating the wrong stuff It's not wrong to have cotton candy or candy every once in a while but if that's your steady diet it's going to lead to all sorts of health problems for you so it is if all you've learned is to have a diet of entertainment that, that entertainment is your quick fix entertainment is your idol let's just call it and you're always going to it. What happens is, is it'll leave you more depleted than you actually felt before you started. Like if you've ever like spent like the whole day, like the entire day, watching one football game after another. Sometimes watching four or five at the same time. It can be done, right? And what happens is, at the end of the day, even though you did nothing, you actually feel worse. Why? Because entertainment has its limitations. Um, I want to just on the subject of entertainment let's make sure that that what you're calling entertainment isn't just something that just is an engagement of a series of temptations let me give you a verse first peter chapter 2 verse 11 says beloved i urge you as aliens aliens and strangers abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul if you are watching things engaging in things that are really at enmity with peace with God, don't be surprised that your entertainment is actually just causing a war going on in your soul, uh, leaving you with complete unrest. You want to be kind of like it says in Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. It's just not going to have a hold on me. You want to be careful. Uh, if you If you think that just engaging in entertainment, though it can be good, is truly going to bring rest. In excess, it doesn't. It leads to weakness, you feeling weary and worn down. That's one of the reasons that that just keeps us from experiencing sanctifying rest. Let me give you another one, a fourth. And that is just busyness. We simply literally believe we do not have time to rest. It's almost as if we see ourselves as like a fireman, who's on 24-7. I always have to be available, and it's driving this is that you don't want to disappoint people. And so you you never rest. But it's very interesting. We have firemen in our church. Do you know what? They take days off. They actually don't live at the fire department. When they're there, they're on 24-7. Always can be called. But they actually, they are scheduled off to be off to do what? To rest. You see, we need a break. You know, some of us, we actually really like our jobs. You know, we spent three weeks talking about work. I can't tell you the number of people that told me how much they love their job. People like, I can't believe I've got this job. I get paid to do what I do. But what happens is we, we like our job. You might be really good at our job. But what happens is we can become a workaholic. It's like I, I just feel better always working. What God wants you to see from this verse is that we need to learn how to incorporate rest in the midst of our work because you see god restores our souls as we learn to rest in him so how can you and i really experience the sanctifying rest of christ let me just give you three general features if you're gonna you're saying you know what okay grant i am convinced i need rest uh your spouse has looked at you three different times It's like i hope you're paying attention you need rest your kids are going to love it if you actually learn how to rest so how do you do it first thing that i find is that We have to recognize the lordship of Christ. It really, if we're going to rest, it has to be rooted in the fact that we recognize that God is God and I am not. That he is both good and sovereign. It's as if like to take all this heavy load and all these responsibilities and these things pulling at us and weighing us down. And saying, but you're God. And you're good and you're sovereign. And I'm just going to trust you. I need your rest in this. And it might be helpful... Just to verbally say this, Lord, uh, in this next few minutes, or this next hour, or this next half day, or this next day, I'm recognizing that you're Lord, you're God, you're sovereign, and you're good. And I just want to rest in you. And, And personally, this is really what lifts me up. When I remember that God is in the equation. And so, you recognize the Lordship of Christ. Let me give you the second, though. Once you are really acknowledging Christ's lordship, then you have to refrain from working to recover your strength. You have to find those activities that are life-giving to you. What is it? You are, you're resting. So you are, you'll cease doing the things that you normally do. So whatever it might be, that can have, you can be done in a Godward focus that can bring restoration. It might mean, like, just taking a nap and just being, it's okay. Or reading a book, or maybe you're into crocheting, or knitting, or needlepoint, or whatever you're doing. And, and maybe, maybe it's yard work. Like, you know, I actually, it's one of the few things in my life I see progress, you know? I rake the leaves, they're in the bags, my yard looks better. Great! Very few things like in my life. Uh, my kids, they still haven't found the life-giving uh, restoration that's found in yard work. They don't, they don't get it. They're a work in progress. Maybe you don't, but some of you are like, you can't wait to hop on your tractor because it is fun. You just find what is it that gives you life, rewarding, listening to music, writing in your journal. It's going to be different for different people, but you've got to find life-giving activity to just literally rest in Him. Remember in Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and He leads me beside quiet waters. He's trying to teach you that at times you need to rest. He restores my soul. You see, you want to find that which is like life-giving in you, to you. And when you work, when you're out like, like you're working your yard or maybe you're going running or riding your bike or taking a walk, do it at times with a smile on your face, thanking God. It brings restoration. It brings renewal. And so you need to come to a time where you're just pausing. Now, if you've got kids at home and they're small, uh, you may not be finding like a whole day. Half day, unrealistic. You might be looking for small segments of time, but you need to take time. You need to incorporate it. You might need to talk to your spouse and say, hey, what would this look like in our home? If if you got two hours of rest, and I got two hours of rest. But let's get on the same page and let's realize how important rest is to our well-being and what we're even modeling to our kids. And by the way, get ready for resistance. It, let's say you're convinced by the scriptures that rest is important and you try this. It's kind of like these taskmasters. They just kind of appear in your mind like, what are you doing? You got this huge pile of responsibilities. You're neglecting that. You're so responsible. And they're just like working you over. Look, at you have all these things to do and you're, you're just laying there on the couch. That is a poor excuse for a human. And they're, they're imaginary, but let me assure you, their propaganda campaign is significant in your mind. And for some of us, we just keep going. We actually believe these lies. See, you want to come to a place where we're learning to incorporate rest. I wish I could say, like, I could take a whole day off. It doesn't happen. I'm, where I'm at right now, I, I probably need this more than most. If I can get a few hours or a half day a week I'm, I'm considering good. Where I'm doing things that are just truly life-giving and restorative. I, I love my job and I love being a pastor. Don't get me wrong. But it is hard. And sometimes the demands are tough. I know what you're, you, some of you can relate. I even see your heads nodding. But friends, we've got to incorporate this. It has to be something that we work in. Why? Because it's biblical. God intends to restore us The rest. And finally, you want to be rejoicing the Lord. You, you're thinking of God's sovereignty. You're recognizing. You're actually taking some time to literally rest and do life-giving activities. Rejoice in the Lord. That means maybe just being still before God. It's a practice for about the last year and a half. I've tried to take like just two minutes just being absolutely still before God. And just resting in how much he loves us. I, I do this with our staff in our prayer times. It's just like we're going to be still before God and then we're going to move into prayer. But take some time just to enjoy God. Take time to enjoy your Bible. Just to be in the scriptures. God, I intend to learn from you and it's so good just to spend some time with you. And so you read, reflect, perhaps you write, but you're rejoicing in the Lord. Mindful that God restores our souls as we learn to rest in him. And so, friends, you need to know something. That a peaceful life, it needs to be cultivated. Look at verse 11, chapter 4. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Make it your ambition. You've got to give yourself to it. You don't want to approach it as law-driven, but rather as life-giving. And friends, if you don't plan to start with something now, it probably isn't going to happen. You see, life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. we got to learn to pace ourselves. Otherwise, the consequences could be harsh. Back in Oregon, I heard the story of two loggers. There was a there was a particular logging camp. They had a new guy, young buck, strapping, strong, tough arrogant, and uh, he heard about one of these old guys, that one of these axemen, who had the reputation of being able to fell the most trees in a particular day, in one day. No one could touch this guy. And so, if you're arrogant and egocentric, what do you do? You take him on. Listen, old man, I want you to take you on, and I'm going to show you who's the new boss in this camp now. Well, the older fellow was kind of reluctant, didn't really want to do it, but he eventually said, okay, well, okay, if you want, we'll, we'll do this. So, the day came. And early in the morning, they got started, and man, that young guy just took off, man. Talking about getting out of the blocks fast. He did it, man. He is taking down these trees, and he's working hard. And the old guy's working at a very steady pace, but kind of weird. About every hour, he, the old guy would sit down and kind of fool around with his axe and kind of sit there for a little bit and then get back up and go to work. And Well, you know, the, the young guy was kind of getting a little bit tired. The, the old guy followed this pattern about like lunchtime. They were about neck and neck about the number of logs they'd taken down. By the afternoon, though, the older guy was getting ahead, more ahead, and by the end of the day, he had actually felled a lot more trees than the young guy. Well, our former egomaniac, the young guy, approached this older guy and said, How in the world did you do it? And he said this, Well, while you were turning your axe into a hammer, I was sharpening my blade and resting up for the next round. So friends, what role will rest have in your life? Just remember this. God restores our souls as we learn to rest in him. Let's pray.